Yo, microphone check one, two, one, two. Ladies and gentlemen, you are checking out Battleline Podcast, episode 118. My name is Ian Scotto. Chris Peranto is out this episode, but do not go anywhere because we have Ben Morgan on, who many of you know from Battleline Tactical. We talk Battleline Tactical. We talk tactical training. We talk Tonto Vodka, which he is responsible for putting out there in the market, and especially if you live in Colorado, you may be seeing it around uh, because that's really where it's been circulating for the longest. However, you can now buy online, which we get into this episode. Uh, So really great stuff. Thank you, as always, for checking us out. means a lot to us, all of you who leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Now, I wanted to mention this. Chris Dykos, who we had on the show recently, sent me this. And he is a very smart guy, and he's not a guy who's going to send me any bullshit, quite honestly. Um, And this certainly isn't bullshit. This is right from NIH.gov. And many of you uh, may have seen this headline, Cannabinoids Block Cellular Entry of SARS-CoV-2 and the Emerging Variants. And the abstract there is, as a complement to vaccines, small molecule therapeutic agents are needed to treat or prevent infections by severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, and its variants which cause COVID-19. Affinity selection mass spectrometry was used for the discovery of botanical ligands to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Cannabinoid acids from hemp, Cannabis sativa were found to be allosteric as well as orthosteric ligands with micromolar affinity for the spike protein. In follow-up virus neutralization assays, cannabigorolic acid and cannabidiolic acid prevented infection of human epithelial cells by a pseudovirus expressing the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and prevented entry of live SARS-CoV-2 into the cells. Importantly, cannabigorolic acid and cannabidiolic acid were equally effective against the SARS-CoV-2 alpha variant B117 and the beta variant B1351, orally bioavailable with a long history of safe human use. These cannabinoids isolated or in hemp extracts, have the potential to prevent as well as treat infection by SARS-CoV-2. Now, I definitely struggled to get through some of that. I am certainly not a biologist or a scientist or an epidemiologist. However, you get the gist of the article that there are, or I should say the abstract right there from NIH, that cannabinoids do have benefits in terms of helping your immunity, just in general. That doesn't mean we're making any uh, specific claims here or anything, but we just found it interesting. And if you're anything like me, and the reason I mention this, if you were, if you really have no interest in smoking marijuana, getting high, but you would like to experience those benefits in terms of the immune system, you got to go with Ned because it is the purest full-spectrum CBD, full-spectrum hemp out there, extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants, grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. Check it out. They do great work. They also have their Distress Blend with CBG, which is known as the mother of all cannabinoids. All different types of products on there that you're going to want to see. And these aren't blends of different things mixed in with full-spectrum hemp. This is just pure full-spectrum hemp. 
and it really is recommended by a lot of doctors out there, and that's why they work with medical field experts like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. As always, just go to helloned.com slash battleline, and with that, you'll be supporting the podcast and also getting a discount for being a listener. And these companies like Ned are who keep us going. We do not ask for donations or anything like that. All that we want you to do is support our sponsors and you're going to get the best products out there on the market because that's who we work with. So H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Let's go. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dead for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battleline Podcast, Ben Morgan on, lead firearms instructor with Battleline Tactical, and a retired Army Ranger and private military contractor. Most recent venture, which all you guys have been seeing, is Tonto Vodka. And if you read, actually, this book, which just, even though we don't have video, we will have video soon at some point, but (laughs) you guys don't see it, but this book that happens to be right next to me, The Patriot's Creed, which I was reading a little bit of because it was... uh, reading up on Rob Jabber, who we're going to have on. But uh, yeah, Ben's story is documented in the Patriots Creed. And uh, actually, I was looking the last time that we spoke to you, both Chris and I, was episode 69, which was pretty much an entire year ago. Does it feel like a year to you? You know, in, in, in a way it does. But then again, in a way, it feels like it was last week. It, yeah. It's just... Uh, like I said, I, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, it's Thursday. The range, the outdoor range that I go to is open on Thursdays. It's like, let's see if the wind's howling today. Maybe I'll go shoot. And then I look at my phone and it says it's Friday. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Dude. all the days kind of mesh together. The reason wow. I remember the last time you were on, because it it actually did inspire me to do a, a float at the float place by me, which is actually what it's called. And it made me think, oh, it's so it's been a year since I've done that. Maybe I'm due to do it again. Maybe every time Ben Morgan is on, I have to go for a float. I may have to do it. What'd you think? Well, as I told you, it wasn't it wasn't my first time, so it's it wasn't like a new experience oh, okay. for me. It was I think I was think it was my third time, but it's uh I it's cool, man. It's it's a good it's a good experience. And for those who don't know, like the sensory deprivation to uh to actually kind of process some thoughts. 
I, as I said on the on the last show with you, I had never had the uh, hallucination aspect or anything like that. But it's uh, it's it's interesting. I, I like it. It's something I, I like to do now and again. Like I said, it may be overdue for one. I think like every year that works for me. I'm I'm not one of these people who there need to do it every week though. There you go. Yeah, it, it's been a minute since I've gotten in there and done that as well. The the place that I was going to, um, I went by down there. Many it was just closed. And, you know, I mean, but that's just kind of the, the way things are now. You you don't know what the deal is with a restaurant or a, any sort of uh, customer-based uh, services. They're just, they're dropping my flies. Yeah, we're in pretty much year three of this. And uh, it's interesting you mention it because I finally got COVID with this past week. And I'm perfectly uh, yeah. fine now. Pretty much right after recording the last uh episode with Tarek Azim and uh yeah I was just tired for a couple of days I'm good to go now you know I don't know if you want to credit it to being being that I'm younger it's the weaker variant I am vaccinated uh, not boosted with the original vaccination and I'm, I'm personally fine did you ever did you end up getting COVID I don't even remember if you did at any point you know I I got really really sick like two years ago when COVID first appeared on this on the scene and um, I, my, my doctor, I remember even saying to my doctor, oh, do you think I have that stuff from China? And he kind of laughed and was like, nah, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> it, but there was no test back then. So I have no idea if that's what it was or it wasn't. Um, my kids both tested positive for it like a year ago, maybe. Or, or no, sorry. They tested positive uh, the spring of 2021. And I never got it. I never felt sick. So, I, I mean, I was exposed to it, but I didn't um, – because it's not like my kids were quarantined in the house. Yeah. I, I was like, if I get it, I get it kind of thing. Um, and then I ended up getting vaccinated, just the two vaccines. Um, and I haven't had any issues since. Both, and both of my kids are homesick today. Uh, there's something going around their school – Everybody's getting sick, but it's not popping up as COVID sick. It's just, hmm. you know, I mean, influenza is still out there. Kids still get yeah. colds and uh, that kind of stuff. And the weather in Colorado at this time of year, it was 65 degrees one day. And then it's, you know, a week later, it's 13 below zero. So, you know, that weather can cause kids to get sick or anybody, adults to get sick and all that stuff. And um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not a COVID denier type person i yeah it's real you no, can get it yeah of course it can kill you um but statistically saying for two healthy 15 year olds i'm yeah, not gonna yeah, lose that, any sleep over it you absolutely know? not especially with what's currently going on for sure it's not any i don't think it's anything to be worried about at all personally no um well, I, I do think thing, i read yesterday that the cdc came out and it was something like 75 percent of all covid deaths had four COVID morbidity, you know, pre-existing yeah. conditions. And you're like, I mean, I remember people saying and talking about that stuff last year, you were labeled a nut, you know, exactly. it's like, well, wait a minute. If, if I, you know, I'm, I'm not over whatever the age kind of threshold is for that, that virus. I'm not obese. I don't have type two diabetes. I don't have, a, you know, heart disease. I don't have all these things. Your chances of, of it taking you out or pretty, I mean, it's already pretty slim that you're going to die from it. You could get hospitalized. Yep. Sure. But, um, death. Yeah. That's so I just kind of, 
I just feel in the long run, once the actual numbers come out and somebody scrubs them, we're going to be like, man, we, we didn't handle this right. Oh yeah. I agree. I, I'm surprised you personally didn't get the uh, antibodies test before being vaccinated to see if that's actually what you had two years ago, because that's what I ended up doing prior. I, I wanted to see, oh, do I have the antibodies at the time? I didn't. And then the interesting thing is prior to getting this, I'm only pulling up my phone so I get the number right. I was like, I wonder how high my antibodies are, because this whole idea that I don't believe in this um, one size fits all, that everybody needs to be boosted, I, you know. To me, that that's kind of ridiculous. So I just wanted to see, okay, what are my actual antibodies? Because if I have high antibodies, I feel I'm good. I did what I needed to, and I'm not interested in this getting a booster every six months type of deal. So um, I looked, and the test says you have to have point, and this is the actual test I'm looking at. You have to have point eight, whatever your level is, point eight of whatever it is, or greater for your to have antibodies. And my level was 605.8. Oh, so right. I I was like, this sounds crazy. And I called the lab and they're like, no, that's accurate. It happens. And at that point I said, all right, I am going to go back to, well, not that I haven't been, but like living my life completely normal because I feel fine now. There's nothing more that you could possibly do. I don't need any more antibodies pumped into me. And yeah. sure enough, after getting this, it was um, as mild as it gets. I, I felt a little tired. I got some sleep. That was about it. Um, I did take some supplements and th- that was that was over the counter supplements. And that was all, you know, so. Yeah, I, I have a, a good, good friend and he they developed this antigen test kind of thing, antibody test. And um, they actually got kind of like a cease and desist letter from the FDA saying you can't um, put this out here, out there yet kind of stuff. And um, I mean, I'm sure I'm repeating this probably not as, as accurately as I should, but yeah, they were essentially told you couldn't um, put this out on the market just yet. And they're waiting to get approval back from the FDA because um, they didn't like the language that they were using in their kind of sales pitch kind of thing. So hmm. it's kind of weird. Yeah. And, um, but that's, uh, but yeah, I, I got vaccinated um, and I'm a big believer in antibodies. You know, if you have them from natural exactly. immunity or you have them from the uh, the shot, that really is what we we need. And that's what people need. They don't need the, the, the you know, go. Oh, I, I, I sneezed. Go get in line to see if you have COVID and clog up all the, the COVID testing for people that are legitimately sick. But, yeah, if you have an antigen test and you say, yeah, you're 600. You're good. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's I mean, not, and it's not hard to get an antibody test. The, the thing is, they're not putting it out there as much. It's not on every commercial, but yeah, you could go to any of these places that are doing COVID tests. For the most part, a lot of them offer it, uh, and you just walk in there. You don't have to have health insurance. You don't have to have anything, and they will give you your results. Um, with that, we'll get into other things because I, I don't. I always try to kind of steer clear of this stuff on the show because it's all you hear on every media platform, whether right. it's corporate news. Or even if you're listening to podcasts, and I try to keep us free of this talk. However, being that I just happened to get it, I guess it's appropriate to get into a little bit. But um, with that, I guess like the big thing that you've been up to day in and day out has yeah. been Tonto Vodka. It has. It, it, it's um, it's been, um, you know, the whole, it, this has been going on for maybe, maybe two years. We've been working on this project. 
And I believe um, so because actually on the first episode of this podcast, Chris teased out that there was going to be a Tonto vodka. Yeah, it's taken in it's it hasn't necessarily um it wasn't like it took us that long to figure out how to make vodka. You know, I mean, that yeah. that part of it was that was kind of uh, done very quickly with our the guys down at Dalton Distillery. I mean, they've been using this recipe for probably a, close to 100 years. Um, the old man, unfortunately, he did pass away last year right around this time frame. Um, he was an old school moonshiner and he ran moonshine for his dad because his dad had polio. So he was like 12 years old driving around in the hills of Tennessee delivering moonshine and stuff. So they had the the ability and the distillery and everything to make the vodka. The, the, the delay has been in getting uh, distribution. That's That's been the big delay. And, and then it just gets into, you know, the whole business world with regards to the, the you know, distribution companies don't like to take on small products because they take up shelf space. They don't move as fast. So they don't really necessarily want the smaller products. Uh, the liquor stores, the same thing. They want to put a product on their shelf that they know they're going to be flushing, you know, through five or six cases a month. And because it all takes up space. And, you know, the guy working at the liquor store usually doesn't own the liquor store. So he's not necessarily going to be out promoting it and selling it and that kind of stuff. And for us, you have to, you, the whole liquor system is built off of this three-tiered system. So the, the distiller can't sell it directly. They have to sell it to the distributor, and then the distributor then has to sell it to the liquor store, then the liquor store then in turn sells it to the customer. So everybody in that link, you know, if they're not on board and they're not out pushing the product, it's harder to sell. Um, you know, if you just look at it from a salesman standpoint, I, I have to sell it to two people as opposed to one. Well, actually, I have to sell it to three people. I have to sell it to the, dis- the distribution company. I have to sell it to the liquor store. Then I have to sell it to the customer. It's hard enough to sell something to one person, let alone of three. You know, yeah. and you know, there's the the natural born salesman type people that can just sell. You know, I, there's all those weird things about sell ice to a. I know we're not. We don't call them Eskimos anymore. The uh, indigenous. We, we don't allege. Yeah. <laughs> Do we uh, really not though, or is that like the super super piece? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I think what is it? It's Indians. Is that what they, they I call them? I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm not, sticking with Eskimo. Damn it. Okay. So, but the saying still kind of applies. You could sell yeah. ice to an Eskimo kind of thing. Uh, no offense to anybody that lives up there. Um, you know, it, I'm just, and I'm not one of those people. I'm just. I'm not, I, I've tried to be because, you know, I've had some sales jobs with great opportunities in the past. <laughs> and then you're like, man, I'm just not a, I'm just not a salesman. You know, I'm like the kind of guy, do you like the way it tastes? And they're like, yeah, it tastes great. And I'm like, well then you either want it or you don't. And, you know, we, we've had very good success with people that we've gotten the product in front of people. They really enjoy the way it tastes. They like the story. They like the design of the, the labels and all these kind of things. And so, you know, we have had some success with who we've been in front of. It's just been a little bit uh, slow going, getting it into new states and things like that. Uh, but it is multiple states now, right? I mean, because it was originally, I think that when we were on last time, it was Colorado and that was it, right? Yeah, we, we are uh, Colorado, Georgia, uh, California. Uh, but the big thing that we gained access to is 
to be able to sell online. So we can sell now to people in 44 different states and they can go on to, it's called Great American Craft Spirits. You just search in there, Tonto, and it'll pop up and you order it, they ship it to you. Um, and yeah, as long as you're not in Utah, Alabama, I think Rhode Island, some, you know, some places that don't allow it, um, you can just go on and, and order it and it'll get shipped to your house. I don't know if that necessarily is slow progress because like I said, a year, uh, one year ago to this day, just about, you were only selling to one state and that's, that's quite a lot of progress. Well, um, you know, I, I, yeah, it is in considering the size of the operation, which you're seeing, you can, well, it's not a, a, a video podcast, but you can see my office here. It's me, you know, I mean, it's me and Chris that are, are kind of, you know, driving this train and it's a lot of stuff to try to get done. Um, you know, you, you, you contact people, they take a while to get back to you. You, you, you go through the conversation, you send them the samples and then they have to talk to their distributor bosses and this and that. And then it goes back and forth. And then sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. Um, we do have hope on the horizon, you know, is uh, we're hoping to get into Tennessee soon. Um, that's looking relatively good for us. Uh, Pennsylvania is another one in Florida are kind of our next, the next hurdles we want to get over for 2022. We would like to get into Texas. Um and then, you know, just kind of take one state at a time kind of thing. Have had some interesting conversations lately with with some people that uh, I probably shouldn't let the cat out of the bag with regards to who they are. Um, but, you know, very, very famous names in the uh, alcohol industry, spirits world, where if I said their name out loud, uh, 99% of the people would be like, oh, I know, I know who that is. You know, just because some of these brands have been around for a long, long time and, um, you know, trying to get them on board with what we're trying to do with, we're not trying to become like another Smirnoff or another Grey Goose or this other, you know, giant, giant alcohol brand. We're trying to stay in that craft uh, space. And our big thing is that we don't ever want it to get out of our control with regards to the quality aspect of it. Um, if you look at what a lot of these big, big names do, and especially in the vodka industry, there's a there's a plant somewhere in Indiana and they make industrial grade grain alcohol. I mean, they make, you know, thousands and thousands of barrels of it, gallons of it, you know, and then they ship it off to uh, different vodka makers, craft vodka people that say, oh, this is handmade vodka. And then they just run that industrial grade uh, grain alcohol through their stills, their pots, really. And then they say, it's it's ours. We made it. And then they, you know, so they don't even make their own alcohol. And that's why when you talk to some people and they say, oh, I used to drink this type of vodka, but the, the taste changed. It doesn't taste the same as it used to. And that's because they went from being able, you know, they kind of made their name and they made their taste with the craft side of it, where they stayed small. They had complete control of it. They were making their own mash. They were making their alcohol, the whole thing. And then they got so big, they couldn't do that anymore. So then they just buy this industrial grade grain alcohol. And then they just kind of run it through their pots and say that they made it there. It's like, well, not really. Yeah. They didn't really make it there. And that's why it doesn't taste the same. But that's not something that we want to, we don't want to get into that 
market. You know, we want to stay. And when I say small, we're talking about the 50,000 cases a year kind of is the threshold, excuse me, for being considered like a craft product. And some of these guys are making a couple million, five, six million cases a year. You can't have the same quality control over a product when you're making 10, 100 times, 1,000 times more product. It's just not possible. You talk to anybody that is a, a chef or a carpenter, anybody, they, you just can't mass produce excellence. That's kind of the old saying within the special operations community is you can't mass produce excellence because they look and they say, oh, look at what these Green Berets are doing in Afghanistan. These guys are great. And the, the, the big famous term was force multiplier. And yeah. It was like, wow, that, you know, the U.S. Army Rangers, you know, the, the Delta guys, these guys are amazing. They're doing amazing things on the battlefield and this and that. Well, why don't we just make more of them? If we had more of them, we could do better stuff and more stuff. And you're like, well, you can't. You just, it doesn't, because the standard's the standard, right? And if you start easing up on the standard, more people get through. The ultimate product is not the same quality person or, or product. So, that's kind of the big thing that we want to convey to everybody is that, you know, this is going to stay relatively small. I mean, I say small, but I'm sure if we're cranking out 50,000 cases a year. I'll be going around like my hair's on fire busy, <laughs> but that's, that's fine. Right. That's okay. Um, but we want it to stay where we have that control over the quality of the product and it doesn't change. We want to be able to have this distributors or bar owners and liquor store owners, if they have something and they need to speak to one of us, they can call me and I'll answer the phone. They say, Hey, can we do this? Or can we get Chris out here to do a promotional thing? And if it's feasible, we'll do it. But um, you, you know how Chris goes with, he can be so busy too, that it's hard to, to get things to line up. So it's not like anybody that calls. Yeah, we'll be there. It's, that's sure. not going to be the case, but you know, that's, that's something that we want to be able to do. You know, if you were to go to a bar and they said, hey, Jim Beam's going to be here tonight. You can say, that's pretty cool. That's that's Jim Beam. But, you know, um, so that part of it is, is something that we that's where we want to keep it. And so when I say it's been slow or something, that's probably me just beating myself up a little bit, you know, because, you know, you make a lot of phone calls. And I'm sure you run into this in, in your industry as well, where you, yeah, probably 10 phone calls. You might make one connection one person actually gets back to you and you develop that relationship from there. So it, it can be, it gets old getting told no. It, it wears you out, man. And, you know, after a week long of phone calls and in knows, and everybody wants a sample, you know, Oh, send me a sample bottle, send me a sample. And then you send it out and everybody goes, it, it tastes great. And this, that, and we love the story, but we're going to pass. And you just, you know, there's there's no explanation as to why, like, well, did we do something wrong on our end that we can fix? And it's usually you get no, it's nothing you did, but there has to be a reason. There's always a reason. And yeah. sometimes the reason is these bigger, bigger companies will actually incentivize people not to buy your product. And now it's completely legal. It's shady. Sure. And it's a little dishonest in the business world but it's done every day and you go to a liquor store and the entire liquor store is wrapped up in this big you know uh, poster that is advertising another person's product 
and you go in and you say, hey, can we put a poster up on the wall or something here? And they go, well, we don't have any space for it because this other company has taken up all that space with their advertising. And they incentivize the, the people to do that. And, and I, again, I don't like throwing out people's names, but everybody knows, you know, uh, Pappy Van Winkle's whiskey. And everybody's heard the name. And liquor stores only get like two or three bottles of it if they get any in a year. It's pretty. So the company that controls that, they'll say, hey, we'll let you, um, we'll give you another bottle of Pappy's every year if you let us wrap your entire store in this advertising logo or just incentivize them to not do business with some of the smaller people because it, you know, it hurts their business. And again, it's not illegal. It just makes it harder for the smaller craft products to get in the door. Um, but you know, there's always going to be some struggle. There's always going to be a fight that has to, and that's the fight that we're fighting right now is, you know, how do you, fight for shelf space it's uh, yeah. uh you know and then once you get on the shelf how do you not get lost on that shelf? yeah you also gotta like deprogram out of people that they, they have to go with this brand that they see on tv this thing being pumped constantly um right. but no I, I also want to talk of course about like what you mainly do with battle line tactical and you know your your gun instructing and you were saying uh earlier that you were thinking of going shooting. So is that something that's like a part of your life every day is going to the shooting range, perfecting your craft with that? It it is. Um, I don't get to the range that often um, just because, uh, I mean, ammo's expensive. Time is hard. I have two freshmen in high school. My kids are twins. It's not like I have some baby mama drama going on in my house. They're twins. Um, But yeah, they're both freshmen in high school. So that, you know, you have my daughter plays lacrosse. My son plays baseball. Um, so you have practices. You have all these things and, you know, um, to and from school constantly. You just it's hard to get out to the range. And it's the outdoor range is 45 minutes away from me. So and then we have the weather out here where the wind can get so bad. I mean, um, you can't even keep target stands up. They just I mean, 60, 70 mile an hour winds are not uncommon here. So. You can uh, that can just be a little difficult to shoot in. Um, so it is hard to get out there, but I do work on that kind of the craft side of it every day. Every day I work, whether it's dry fire stuff with my pistol, uh, working on my draw stroke, working on my presentation stuff, working on my grip, my grip strength. Um, it, it, it is. It's something that I in and I, I, I kind of have, you know, in in my head. I have a f- different philosophies, I guess, than, than some people. But it, to me, if you're going to carry a gun for a living, like a police officer or whatever the case may be, I don't know who else really carries guns for a living um, other than the police. But if you carry a gun with the idea that I might have to use this someday to protect my, save my own life or save the life of my children or my loved ones or, you know, prevent a forcible felony or something like that, and you don't use that in practice with it at least once a week to me that's just epically irresponsible hope you guys are enjoying this interview we're getting into the firearms topic and uh this is actually the perfect transition for many of you who are either on your way to shot show if you're hearing this on monday many of you are probably there already if you work in the firearms industry or 
Keep in mind, SHOT is an acronym, Shooting, Hunting, Outdoors Trade, really the biggest trade show of, of its kind. So if you're someone who works in that industry, you may be at SHOT Show, and if you are, you're going to want to check out the PD Pro 16B binocular, which they're doing a giveaway for, an NVG giveaway from Photonis, who is going to be at booth, write this down, booth 41326, doing that giveaway right there in Las Vegas. I'll be hanging out with them. Looking forward to hanging with everybody at Photonist, and I'm actually on my way there as you're hearing this. So uh, Photonist Defense is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonist Defense systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonist Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD Pro B 16mm binocular and the PD Pro M 16mm monocular. You heard me just talk about the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, which once again they're going to do a giveaway for at SHOT Show, so be there. And this is for the 16B binocular NVG. They're constantly upping their game. Uh, they also have the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously. So if you want to get a, get a look at these yourself, and especially if you're not at SHOT Show and you can't be hands-on with it, go to photonistdefense.com, give everything a look. You're going to learn more information on there, and you'll be able to find Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Once again, it's photonistdefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S. D-E-F-E-N-S-E dot -E com. We actually talk a little night vision on this episode, which you'll have to stay tuned for, so keep it locked here. And of course, if you're looking for ammo, you know, we know everything is backed up right now, so it's really hard to find, especially online, even from our friends at Fort Scott Munitions, and their first priority is supplying those dealers. So if you have a local dealer by you, a local retail store that sells ammo, you're going to find Fort Scott Munitions. But go to the site and use our promo code if you're looking to pick up any merch. And I would really say to you guys, join the mailing list at fortscottmunitions.com because they're going to give you an update anytime they do have bulk ammo available. And when you use our promo code, you're going to get 15% off. So if you're buying in bulk, in some cases, that's going to save you I've seen like I've seen it save you up to about $150 if you're buying in large bulk. So, yeah, get on it. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results 
with each pull of the trigger. So go there now, fortscottmunitions.com, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. This is the best ammo on the market. Our listeners who have checked it out love it. They have switched over, and we hope you do as well. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. And with that, back to Ben Morgan. Is there always more to learn, do you think? You know, do you think you really ever become a complete master of this after 20 years of doing it, or, or are you always learning something new? You know, I don't necessarily think you're always learning something new, but you're getting better at applying what you know. And, you know, in, 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 in shooting, you think about, you know, what are the, the two biggest aspects are, I mean, it's accuracy and time, you know, can I make an accurate shot? Now, what, what do you, what do you define as an accurate shot? You know, point of aim, point of impact. That to me is accuracy. The, the, the bullet landed where I wanted it to, whether that's, uh, you know, in the chest or in the head. And, and I'm not a big advocate of headshots because most people just don't have the skill to do it. Um, your head's only 9% of your body. Uh, that's, that's relatively small, you know, center chest is a much bigger, uh, more forgivable area. There's a lot of vital stuff in here. Not that there's not vital stuff in the head and the head can pretty much end a fight in the blink of an eye, but it's an extremely hard thing to hit. Um, especially even for people that put in the work, it's still a difficult shot. And so if most people aren't going to even come close to putting in the work, we don't want that in their their mindset that oh I'll just shoot them in the head it'll be over. It's like well that's probably not going to happen. So, um, kind of getting off a, a little bit. But um, so to me that's accuracy, point of aim, point of impact. Now, uh, but can you do that within the time standard? Well, what's the time standard? Well, that depends. You know, uh, a course of fire should always have a time standard and an accuracy standard because you need to be able to grade yourself and see how you're doing and how you're performing. And that's on a range and even, you know, uh, training courses and all these things, they're going to have a time standard. But what's the time standard in a gunfight? That's unknowable. So it's kind of always better to be a little bit faster than a little bit slower kind of thing because you don't know. You just don't know how fast do I need to be. Um, you know, it's not going to happen like the OK Corral where we face off in the street and it's high noon and we just draw and see who wins. You know, there's going to be a much more dynamic situation than that. Um, but being able to do it quickly and maintain that accuracy, you know, that that's always going to be advantageous in a fight in any sort of combat sport that you can think of speed is brutal. You know, when you're faster, you can, I mean, you've seen, a, I've seen little fast dudes just pummel big slow guys in fist fights and bars and, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. And you have that speed component that other people don't it's not going to last very long. I mean, if it takes you three seconds to draw your handgun out and get it out and I can do it in a second and a half, that's, that's, you know, that's, it's over. It's like, yeah, you know, so you can have the, uh, the talent to, or the knowledge to do these things, but it doesn't mean you're going to have the ability to do them unless you practice constantly because it, it just, it just diminishes so quick. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be a chat show this year, right? No, no, I'm okay. not. Because um, I'll, I'll be there. But is there, is there anything that you think is 
like doing big things in the industry and types of innovation right now. I know oftentimes like when we had um uh John Bartolo on recently, he was saying how like the gun industry kind of recycles a lot of the same things and tries to make it look new and shiny and and there's only so much that you could do, but is there anything in particular that you've been seeing like whether it's in guns or accessories that you're like this is awesome. I've been waiting for this. You know, I mean, you, well, you know, I started that dry fire business yeah. and I yeah. developed that whole thing. Um, and, and even to this day, I still, you know, sometimes people go down business ventures and they're thinking, man, that, that was a dumb idea. That's why it didn't work. Well, my idea didn't work, but I still to this day don't think it was dumb. I still think it has validity 100% across the board. Sometimes it just doesn't stick. Um, but there is that, you've heard of Mantis, Mantis X. Yes. You know, they they kind of um, they were able to do what I wanted to do kind of thing. Sometimes you get beat. Right. Well, they beat me and they developed um, a thing called it's called a Blackbeard. And it's essentially an AR-15 or an M4 bolt system that allows you to dry fire with your AR without having to run the charging handle in between every shot. And that system to me is, is and you can use it with the uh the mantis x system and it gives you all this feedback on your phone and all these kind of things and, and it really gives you a lot of information and then you can take that and still do the same drills live fire and then you can kind of compare um how you do in your dry fire as opposed to your live fire and then you, you, there's a lot of information that you can uh, ascertain from that you know if you're really good when you're dry firing and then you kind of fall apart when it's live fire to me that means you probably have an extreme reaction to recoil recoil sensitivity and it kind of uh, the fear of the recoil you know if you can't get that out of your head you're never going to be able to be a good shooter it's just not gonna it just isn't gonna work and and it's it's normal i mean it's a controlled explosion going off right in front of your face to not have some sort of adverse reaction to that is not normal but you have to train that reaction out of yourself you have to learn that you can control it or manage it, I guess is a better way to say it. You can't control it, but you can manage it. And once you get that part of your shooting out of the, um, that wrinkle out of your system, then you can kind of move on to the next level. But if you have that, that flinch, so to speak, you, you're kind of chasing your tail. You have to get that out of your system. And there's drills you can do that are very simple to get it out. And, but you have to be willing to do it. When we teach in the courses, we have, um, you know, it's like a um, we kind of have students buddy up kind of thing. And I'll let you um, load the other guy's pistol kind of deal. And, you know, we have all the safety measures in place to to keep it as safe as possible. But you you don't know if you're going to have a bullet in your gun or not kind of thing. Am I going to get a click or am I going to get a bang? And when you don't know what's coming you kind of react to it the same way as if you're going to get the bang, you know? And then when you get the click, it it shows the shooter a lot of what they're doing wrong. Cause I can tell you, I can tell by your shots. And sometimes I can just tell by looking at your hands when you pull the trigger, you're flinching, you're flinching, you're, you're anticipating this recoil and people will do it in different ways. But most people try to push the gun flat right in that millisecond that they pull the trigger they try to push the gun flat and it causes the rounds to go to the left or to to go low i'm sorry but what they also do is is they're pulling that trigger they tend to tighten their hands squeeze the gun hold on to it tighter right before it goes off and that's can twist the gun around in your hand 
you don't have a solid grip. So you get a lot of the low left style shooting because most people are right-handed. And if that's what you're doing, to me, you, you're just, you're having a recoil issue, which can be fixed with proper grip and grip strength and stuff. But if you don't know you're doing it as the shooter, you don't believe me. I can tell you, people who go, I'm not doing that. And then when they get that click and you see that front sight or you see the gun really dip in their hand and you're at five yards and you're like, yeah, dude, that five yard shot that you're shooting eight inches a foot low at five yards, you're putting rounds in the dirt if you're at 15, you know, because of the, because of the flinch. So you have to get that out of your system. And, and if you don't shoot a lot, it, it creeps back in. It just shows back up. And so you do need to shoot a lot. You do need to practice a lot. And that, that Mantis stuff, uh, it makes dry firing a little bit more enjoyable because you get some feedback. You can get timed feedback. You can get accuracy feedback. What kind of inputs are you putting into the gun that are causing you to get a bad result? And then you can kind of work them out as, as you go. So I do work on it every day. But as far as innovation in the, in the, in the firearms industry, it is. It's a lot of just recycled stuff. I mean, they they try to sell you things you don't need. You know, um, you look at aftermarket triggers and handguns is a huge thing. Everybody always like, what's the trigger like? What's the trigger like? And you're like, you know, in a lot of ways, does it work? Does the trigger work? It works. Okay. Then I'm not overly, I don't get too wrapped around the axle with regards to these triggers because you know, the 1911 style trigger, the single action only trigger is, it has been viewed for, well, for over a hundred years now as kind of the best trigger in, that there is. And it's like, yeah, it's a great trigger, but it's, it, it doesn't really make any difference when you're shooting in, say, like a, a, a combat environment or even, you know, even in um, competition where they're shooting very fast and things along those lines that really, really crisp break of the trigger and all of those kind of things, it doesn't really, it doesn't really ma matter. You know, if you're a bullseye shooter and you're looking for a really short reset, reset and this really light trigger break so that you're not having to squeeze any harder to get the, the, the gun to go off, which can induce uh, mistakes, they're great. But that's kind of became the standard. Everybody wants to say, well, what's it feel like compared to a 1911 trigger? And they're not going to feel the same, you know, a striker fired handgun with the trigger bar and the way the safety mechanisms and all that stuff works in there with the, the pre-travel, the over-travel, and even the way the trigger breaks in itself, it's not going to break the same as a 1911 because the, they're just two completely different designs in the gun. And so everybody's like, well, we need aftermarket triggers that feel closer to the 1911. And you're like, well, you, you don't, you don't. I mean, I, I understand how people don't like too much over travel. They don't like too heavy of a trigger. As long as your trigger's breaking in that four to six pound range, everything else is kind of just semantics. And so you can take a stock Glock trigger, which they're not great. The stock SIG trigger, they're not great either. But that's not what's causing you to not shoot well. You know what I mean? So now everybody takes these aftermarket triggers and a lot of them are just OEM parts that somebody went in and polished. And then they might change some of the, the springs in there that, you know, a five, six pound spring now gets cut down to a three or four pound spring. So it doesn't feel as heavy. Well, it's not as heavy. But that 
that spring weighs that much out of the factory for a reason because it needs to be able to to create enough force to set off primers consistently on your striker. Well, if you start getting light strikes and things like that, that usually means your your firing pin spring is too light or it's been worn out and you need to get a new one. Well, you know, that became a huge thing in the industry is all these aftermarket triggers. And some of them are $150, $250. And you look at them and I've, you know, they've gotten me a few times. I, I bought a few, I'm not going to lie. But when you take it apart and you look at it and you're like, most of this is just OEM parts that have been polished up. Uh, they lighten up a spring or two here or there, but nothing, it doesn't change the way the trigger works. And $250 on this trigger is not going to really make you a good shooter. You would be better off spending $250 to take a shooting course, spend that money on ammo, spend that on a dry fire system and put that to work. You know, I've never had an instructor, I, you know, I've never had an instructor say, you need a better trigger in your gun. It just, you know, that's not the solution. It's just not. And so the firearm industry, they want you to buy the new shiny toy, the new gun kind of thing that, oh, we, we changed the, and they, they make the smallest changes in the world to these guns and people run out and buy them. And then when you say, have you taken a, a, a course to learn how to shoot? And they go, well, I can't afford that. Yeah, that's definitely poor allocation of uh, right. what you're using your money for. I'm like, dude, you have 30 handguns, and you're not any good with any of them. Maybe you should sell off 10 of them and then spend a year or two training on that with that money. You know, take. Yeah, course. I think that's it's like a product of uh, consumerism for everything in America, unfortunately, which, you know, I think people sometimes equate to capitalism. And I think there are two different things. Capitalism is... You know, the exchange of goods and services through currency. But uh, to me, consumerism is the idea of I, I have to have it all. I have to have the biggest collection of everything. And as you're saying, yeah, it, that none of that really matters if you're not uh, if you if you don't really know your equipment, know what you're using. Exactly. And it is. I mean, that's what they want. They want you just to consume more stuff. I got to buy, buy, buy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what drives the train, right? I mean, it's all this big illusion, really, that, you know, uh, I get up every morning and you go to work to make money so I can buy shit that I don't need. Yeah. And, you know, and then you buy it and you get it and you're like, wow, that felt great. And then five minutes later, you're like, well, what's the next thing that I need? Well, I better Yeah, and the, the best things in life are the things that you really need to strive. It is, is a craft that, that you really could become better and better on. You know, whether it's working out, Absolutely. those are the best feelings when someone could say, I I gained all this strength or I, I learned this new trait uh, or I learned even I learned a new language or something. Yeah. As opposed to I bought this. And yeah, people do need to realize that all of that is temporary. That's that's never going to uh, fix the, this hole inside of you. Like we're here to to move around and do things and create and and learn new uh, learn whether, like I said, new languages, new ideas, um, reading new books, that that's what, what it's all about. Yeah. And you know, the firearms industries, it's just another industry, you know? And so, I mean, I grew up skiing and so skis every year, the new skis would come out, you know, and you, you know, as a kid, you know, I didn't have any money. So I'd go down to the sporting goods store and you stare at this wall of skis and you're like, man, all these new skis, you know, if I had new skis, I'd be a better skier and all this kind of stuff. And, you just stare at them and, and you're like, there, there's really very, very little change 
in, in, in the equipment. Now the ski industry did, they did develop uh, better skis in the early 2000s timeframe. And, and that technology actually has significantly changed the skiing industry and the way people ski and, and um, how well they can ski. You don't have to be as good uh, as you used to be to enjoy uh, more difficult terrain. The skis have actually made it easier to be a good skier. Um, made good skiers great, made decent skiers good, that kind of stuff. But as far as the firearms industry goes, I've never, I haven't seen anything like that. That's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of innovation on the optics side of things and with night vision and that kind of stuff that has significantly changed in the last 20 years. But as far Shout as out the, to photonics night vision. Yeah. I mean, uh, exactly. That stuff. It's, it's insane. I was out in Georgia last year in the spring with this company and they were, uh, showing off the military, their newest and latest and greatest in night vision. And I hadn't really worn any night vision in, in probably 10 years, close to 10 years. And I, I was blown away at how good this stuff was. It was insane. I mean, when I was in the Ranger Regiment, uh, granted, this was, you know, in the 90s and, you know, Clinton wasn't exactly a huge uh, fan of the military. So our funding suffered and those kind of things. So we didn't have the greatest equipment that there was, but we had better equipment than 90% of the army did. And, um, but we would go out and we would wear night vision and you were lucky if you could see 150 yards, you know, you were, I've heard heard Chris say this as well. Right. That was, that was like the big deal. I could see 150 yards. We had good alum, those kind of things. And, but that's just the way it was. Right. So fast forward to me standing out in this peanut field out in Georgia, you know, and this guy gives me these new night vision goggles and I'm looking across this field and it's a thousand yards across this field and I can make out individual tree trunks a thousand yards away with this new night vision. And when you think about the application of that, it's, I mean, it's a huge, massive advantage to be able to see like that and the clarity of it and the crispness and the outlines of the stuff that you're looking at, it, it, it really blew me away. And then, so that's just the night vision side. They switched from these green phosphorus tubes to white phosphorus tubes. And I'm not smart enough to really explain the difference and what it is, but you know, when on TV, when they, they show the, the, the night vision kind of um, scene and it's all green sure. and really grainy and that kind of stuff. Now it looks just kind of black and white and you can see, you can really make things out and it's impressive. It really is. And Do you know that, around when it, it got to that level where it's like this on this level that it is now? Honestly, I think um, probably in the last five years. So they've probably been testing it for 10. But Which is, which is pretty cool to see because the fact that I have, I look, I am not an expert in this field at all, but I've gone to multiple shot shows. I've been going since I think at this point it's probably been man, I don't uh, I can't even remember how long. It's definitely been over 10 years at this point for me. Um, you know, scattered about. I don't go every year, but depending on like what company I'm with, um, and now being with Battleline going, but yeah, guys like Jack Murphy, who I've gone with, do say when they go every year, like to me, when I go to the range day, which I haven't gotten to do in ages, I don't think I'll be able to do it this year. But 
I'm I'm not in this world. So to me, shooting all this stuff, I'm like, this is awesome. Wow, this is so cool. And someone like Jack Murphy, who's seen it all, is just like, yeah, the gun industry hasn't really updated anything. This is all kind of the same thing. So it is a big deal when you hear that in the past five years, at least one aspect of the industry has really innovated. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's so when you think about it, this is what they're showing, showing off to the public. The stuff that's being, you know, tested right now is probably even better. You know, the stuff they're keeping behind closed doors. But yeah, the the night vision, the thermal stuff has gotten insane as well. I mean, back in the day, we had thermal optics, but they were huge. I mean, they were like the size of a shoebox, and you we only used used them on mounted stuff because they were too heavy to carry around. You couldn't carry that thing. But but now they have little thermal scopes that you can hold in your hand, and it's just amazing. And they don't weigh what they used to weigh. They don't chew up batteries the way they used to chew up batteries. You look at the advancements in like GPS technology. I mean, we used to have these big things. They were called pluggers. Uh, yeah, it was like a brick. You had to carry this brick around, and the batteries were you chewed up batteries in thirty minutes. So you had to have a ton of spare batteries, which just adds to the weight that everybody has to carry. Um, you know, they didn't work very well. You would sit there and wait and wait for them to log on or to get onto satellites and to confirm your position kind of stuff. These guys are now wearing, it's a watch. They got GPS on their, on their wrist and it, and it's probably a hundred times more accurate than what we had. And so you take the, the getting lost component and you minimize that for the individual soldier. It's a huge, a huge advantage to be able to see in the dark, minimize your getting lost, which happens all the time. It's kind of even the back in the day when we had maps and compasses and protractors, people weren't always the best at doing it because it was hard. It is hard. I mean, trying to navigate in the pitch dark and you're you're tired out of your mind and you haven't eaten and all these kind of things and you drift a little bit one way or the other, just being off by two or three degrees over in a thousand yards, 2000 yards, you're, you're, you're gone, man. You're lost. So these GPS uh, advancements are huge. The, the optics stuff has gotten, I mean, just incredible. I was reading an article the other day and the, the army adopted this new optic for their squad automatic weapon, which their saw, their machine guns, those kind of things. And it's made by Vortex but it has it has like a ballistic computer inside of it. It has, you know, uh, you know, range finders inside of it, and it just has all of these advancements in this little itty bitty small package that makes the person behind the machine gun that much more accurate, you know, that much more lethal, that much more effective. You know, I mean, suppressive fire is is a, an amazing thing, but it has to be accurate. You know, in these. Yeah these things allow that the accuracy to be improved, which just makes the, the lethality of the individual soldier so much better. Um, but yeah, the industry, the firearm in itself, they, I haven't seen anything where you're just blown away or even really that surprised by, you know, where you're like, Holy cow, this is that term. This is a game changer. I mean, that gets thrown around, all the time and you hear it a yeah, whole so it's a marketing tool at this point right. everything is a game changer Everything's a game it's game almost game. like how when you turn on the news now everything is the uh, fox news alert or whatever the hell and oh, know. you know not everything can be an alert not everything could it, it loses its its meaning at that point exactly i 
you know, I, I check about three or four news sources a day. Um, I don't watch the news anymore because I just can't. I really it. don't either. I, I watch, honestly, I'll watch Tucker Carlson now and again because he, he mm-hmm. discusses a lot of things that people aren't. And, and look, I'm not saying it's not a biased news source. Of course it is because most of the unbiased stuff or low least bias, I'll try to read online, whether it's AP or all that. Um, but no, I, I don't watch much of it all anymore. No, because it is. It's, and if you're not, if you don't believe that, then you should go watch, go back and watch like some propaganda films from yeah. the 40s and 50s. And if you can't pick up the language and the messaging that they're trying to do in those videos and say, that's exactly what CNN, that's exactly what Fox, they're doing the same thing now. It's just they got, you know, a much more attractive girl to give you the news or a much more attractive guy to give you the news. And, and it is, but it is. The sky's falling every day. But one of the with those headlines, one of the things that I've seen is Joe Biden's, you know, uh, popularity or approval numbers plummet again, plummet, plummet, plummet. Well, you can't plummet. You know what I mean? And then you go and you read the article and it's like, well, his his approval dropped two or three points. Like, was that really a plummet? Yeah, it's very low though at the, at the moment though. To be oh, fair, it's it's, it's like it's the lowest of low. anyone in like modern history, I believe. Oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, it's it, the guy is is uh, he's not there. He's, yeah. he's you know some something's off. Um, you know, one of the big things I don't understand. I mean, he's had two aneurysms. Yes, in his life, and if you ever go in and read what. Most aneurysms, most people die when they have an aneurysm. I think it's like 60%, 70% of the people that have aneurysms don't make it. So you're left with 30% survival rate. That 30% that do survive, I forget the numbers again, but it's very, very high, have some sort of neurological damage because the nature of the surgery that they use to go in to fix the aneurysm. You have a bleed in your brain. They have to get to the bleed, so they have to cut into your brain to get to it. But when you cut into somebody's brain, you're damaging you know, those neuromotor pathways, they just don't, you know, you ever had, I don't know if you've ever had any major surgeries. Yeah. Um, but you talk to people that have had major surgeries as the nerves grow back together, they can, you can feel it sometimes just because the connections are being reestablished. Well, not all of those connections get reestablished. It, it, it's just a fact. And this guy's had two of them. Yeah. So you're like, the guy more than likely has some sort of neurological damage. It It's just, I wouldn't say it's a medical fact, but it's the statistical likelihood that he has some sort of damage. And that damage doesn't get better as you get older. It gets worse. And yeah, and we're also just electing we're electing like older leaders than ever before. Uh, it's that's a problem as well. Um, you know, it's the the last thing I wanted to ask you about, though, because I'm sure people do want to hear about this. What Battle Line Tactical is up to this year. Um, because it looks like it's less classes this year, and I know a lot of that that has to do with Chris's schedule, the fact that Chris does a lot of these speaking engagements, which runs into the podcast now and again, and I understand. I mean, it's not um, it's not hard to look up through, like, Chris talks about Kepler Speakers Bureau. Like, these are very high-paying um, events that he does for corporations, and I wouldn't be able to turn those down either. So those get priority. Um, I don't envy him in terms of the... Uh, speaking aspects because i'm not very into the whole public speaking thing but chris is great at it i mean if you even just go on youtube and look up some of the speeches chris has done he's gotten better and better at them and that's why he's in such high demand 
Um, but it, like I said, it looks like it's going to be a few less classes this year. So I would say to people that if you could find something within a three hour or so radius, make the drive, man, you're going to have a great time. Yeah, it, it, it definitely makes the uh, scheduling of that difficult because yeah, the, the speaking stuff does have priority. You know, the, the vodka side of things does have priority. I, I started working in, in some stuff in the TV and film industry uh, behind the camera stuff. Well, I shouldn't even say behind the camera because I'm not the guy behind the camera. Far cry from that. But uh, being on set with these um, TV shows and the filming and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that that's taken up a lot of time, uh, you know, because I, I was in the Bahamas. And nobody wants to hear a sob story about you getting a, having to go to work in the Bahamas for 10 days. But <laughs> Uh, I did. I went to the Bahamas for 10 days and worked on this TV show. So, you know, that that's 10 days that you're gone uh, from your family and things like that. And then it's extremely difficult to come straight back from a, a trip like that and then go straight into a, a training course. Um, I did it in, I want to say we taught a course in uh, November and I had just gotten back either from the Bahamas or this trip to Charleston for the same TV show. And I went straight from that and taught the course down in uh, Fort Worth. And and I don't think I was – I wasn't um, lagging in my ability to teach. And I think everybody that attended the course got the, the, the full amount of information and got well, 100% of my attention. But when I came home, I was just smoked. I was just gassed. I mean, you, you don't – it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're standing in front of – you know, 20 people and you have to talk for eight or 10 hours straight and not just talk. You have to be on because somebody makes, you have to identify that mistake before it becomes a catastrophic mistake. And you get somebody, one or two people in class that they're not really doing it on purpose, but they just don't have their weapon weapons handling skills at a point where you really feel safe around them. And not that you ever, let up on the safety side of things. Safety is one of those things that's kind of always, always in the front of your mind. But when you have somebody that's new to the gun and you can tell that they're really nervous and things like that, they do things that can be pretty close to unsafe. So you have to have that extra attention on that one or two individuals. And for eight or 10 hours, two days in a row, I was smoked. I really was. And so I know where Chris is coming from when he has to go and do those public speaking events there's a lot more to it that people don't see with regards to the meetings and the, the things that go on before the event and they has to speak. And then after the event, he has to go and, and meet people and talk and all these things. And it's not that you don't enjoy it. You do 100%. It just, it takes its toll. So we have kind of backed off on having a lot of classes and, you know, so the courses we might teach, you know, as opposed to teaching a course to a month, you know, we're going to probably do maybe one a month kind of thing. They might be bigger in the grand, you know, the number of students and things that are in there, but we're still going to bring in more instructors. We'll kind of break up the course so you can go get your medical stuff. You can still go get your kind of hand to hand. You can get the pistol work. You can get the rifle work, all of those things. So these, there might be less of them, but they're going to kind of be bigger uh, courses with regards to uh, the amount of information that we're putting out there. Um, but it, it is, it's just kind of one of those things. It's a hard, uh, 
it's, it's hard to organize when you have all of these other things going on, but we still do feel that it's important. You know, when, when, again, we say this all the time. It's not that we say, Oh, you have to come and train with us to get good information. I don't, I don't believe that at all. There's probably dozens of legit instructors out there, the guys that are putting out great information, guys that have even, you know, tremendous amounts of more experience than I do, you know? Um, and they're great guys to go learn from. There's um, Hades Consulting. These two guys, they retired out of out of the unit, and they're traveling all over the country teaching people to shoot. And I went and shot with those guys last year. And, yeah, I mean, dude, it's legit, man. They're they're phenomenal shooters. Great shooters have great experience, great amount of knowledge coming out. Um, this guy, X-Ray Alpha, same thing. Phenomenal shooter, uh, 10, 12 years in the unit. I mean, these guys are so funny how you have to say the unit. <laughs> I, I, the audience I, knows who we're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's in this this other guy, uh, Brad Thomas. He was a, a Delta guy, unit guy. He was Ranger Battalion, which is Delta. You said the word. You're not allowed to. Well, he word. said it the other day. <laughs> he said it the other day. He's like, oh, I went from RRD to Delta. And yeah. so I'm like, well, if guys that actually went to Delta are saying that they went to Delta, I don't feel as bad. I think some of them, yeah, I don't care. I mean, look, Pat McNamara, right? Another great instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just that a lot of us being old, you remember when you didn't even, people didn't say those words, especially in public. Everybody knew, well, not everybody, but, you know, guys in Ranger Regiment all knew that Delta existed, but it just wasn't something that people said out loud. Yeah, but now there's a lot of great instructors out there, though. There, you know, Jeff yeah. Gonzalez, Navy SEAL. There, there's a ton of guys who we got to get on as well. He's he's awesome. Um, but w- what areas do you guys think that you're hitting for those wondering what wh- where are you going to be teaching in 2022? We will we will be in um, it, down at Eddie Ranji's place in Kiefer, Oklahoma. I think that one's in May. We'll be back at Defenders Outdoors in Fort Worth. We will be out in. Um, Indiana and Scott Wheels place out there, Briggs, Briggs core dynamics. And then the guys at Fort Scott are kind of standing up a little bit of a range complex facility uh, by them. And so Chris's proximity to Fort Scott cuts down his travel time and things like that. So um, once we get things kind of going with the Fort Scott place, we might start using that, more frequently and people can come in. I mean, obviously it's centrally located in the country being in Horscott, Kansas, not the most difficult place to get to. You can drive, you know, two, three hour drive from there. You, that's a massive amount of the, the, the country right there. So we're probably going to teach there a little bit as well. Um, we don't have the full list out just yet because again, with Chris's speaking, that takes kind of priority the things with the vodka business, if I have somewhere I have to go to deal with that, that takes priority over the, the shooting courses. Um, so we're going to be scattered about the country a little bit, um, but it, it, it's, you know, we're not going to be going anywhere um, too far away from kind of central, you know, uh, Midwest areas and cool. kind of stay in there just so Chris can drive. You can drive there and drive back, and it doesn't eat up two or three days of travel. Getting yeah, somewhere. I, 
I uh, I would love to visit the Fort Scott facility if that you know because they've been a sponsor this entire time and that would be cool if that becomes the headquarters for the business and that you guys do stuff there. I, I would love to check it out. People have been saying to me you got to come out to a course. I definitely would love to. I mean, ju- I, but for the audience, don't expect much from me. This is not. Uh, I am probably way more of a beginner than most of you guys. Um, but I definitely well, would love to check it out. So, you know, I mean. Um- People, we, we, people will say that they say, I don't feel I have the experience to come take the course. And in, in my head, I'm like, That's you won't me. get it otherwise. Yeah. Well, you're the exact person that needs the course. Yes. Those are the people that really need to come and learn. Um, because it, it's like anything else that it, it, to me, it's just irresponsible to not know what you're doing with that gun. And the fact that your dad taught you how to pull the trigger 30 years ago, that doesn't mean you know how to shoot. You know, it, it's, you know, I can go buy an F. Well, I don't know if you could buy one, but you can go buy a, a Ferrari supercar or buy an F1 car. That doesn't mean I know how to drive it. Sure. I mean, I know how to drive. I know how to drive, but I'm not, a, you know what I mean? So yes. if you're going to have one, which, you know, I don't like, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way thinking that I'm against the second amendment. Cause man, you, you say something. Not. <laughs> Wow, I mean, that crowd turns on you. You're screwed, right? Um, Because I do. I believe in it 100%. You know, I've uh, obviously I've read the Constitution. I've read, you know, the um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the 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 papers that were written, but um, the papers that were written that were basically arguing back and forth on whether or not we should have a big centralized federal government or should we have a decentralized federal government and let the states make these decisions more on their own. And, and it was basically them pleading their case. It was a debate, actually a debate. And it explained the reasons behind the second amendment, what the mentality was and why we needed it and all these kind of things, as opposed to just saying that we will, it wasn't just what people should have the right to own a gun. That wasn't the argument into why we needed the, the, the uh, second amendment, the federalist papers, that's what they're called. Yeah, so yeah. If, if you go in and you read all of those, and I think it's the, the 25th, paper that was written is really one that's devoted towards the argument as to why um, you need the second amendment and people need to have the right to own a gun kind of thing. Um, I've read all that stuff and I still believe it. I believe it to this day that yeah, a tyrannical government is, is a possibility. It, you know, people think, Oh, we're so advanced. That could never happen. Yeah. Okay. You know, we had a run on toilet paper in this country. Yeah. People, people are panicky. People panic. You know, that that's just human nature. So I, I 100% believe and support the Second Amendment all day long, but that doesn't mean I support irresponsible gun ownership. Um, I don't support irresponsible voting. You know what I mean? Uh, that doesn't mean I'm against people having the right to vote. I do believe you should educate yourself on who you're voting for, why you're voting for them, and all of those kind of things. And I look at it as the same with a gun. You have the right to own one 100% but you have the responsibility to know what you're doing with it. Um, so um, you kind of have to make those statements because when you come out and you say something bad about people owning guns, they turn around and throw that on you that, Oh, you don't like the second amendment. It's like, well, nothing could be further from the truth, but um, yeah, if you own a gun, you need to know what you're doing with it. And you're not going to really learn it probably properly from YouTube because you don't know who you're listening to. 
on YouTube and things like that? Are there good instructors? And, and also, you don't have someone, but you don't have someone watching you and seeing what you're doing correctly or not correctly. You're not going to be the best critique of yourself. You need someone watching over you and noticing those small things that you're doing wrong. Right. I mean, I, I don't even say this from a firearms perspective because I say it as someone who's a certified personal trainer. If you're going to learn these things, you're you're not going to be able to see what you're doing wrong through YouTube. It is it is a good resource to have for sure, but you also need that a second opinion of someone who is an expert to look at, look over you and point out what you can what you can fix and what you can improve. Right, because if you're doing something mechanically wrong, and most of shooting is just mechanics, you know, I mean, outside of the explosion going off in front of your face, shooting mechanically is a pretty easy thing to do. It's just hard to implement because of that explosion and also the dynamics of the situation that you're using that gun in are usually life-threatening. So, you know, the, the, the stress side of shooting is what makes it difficult. But mechanically, it's not that hard. And the same thing, like you're saying, with personal training, lifting weights is not necessarily that hard if you're lifting weights that you can manage. But if you're mechanically doing it incorrectly, you're just reinforcing that mistake without somebody saying, this is what you're doing wrong. We need to keep an eye on that. And every time you make that mistake, somebody needs to be there to say, stop, you're making the mistake, fix it, start over fix it, start over, fix it. You know, because if you just go out and you just shoot, you're just reinforcing what you're already doing wrong. You're like, how come I'm not getting any better? Because you're just making the same mistakes. You have to have somebody there to say, this is what you're doing wrong. This is how to fix it. This is why you're making that mistake. And then not let you just, you know, take that information and run off with it. You have to take that information and then basically start back from square one and say, okay, I got this. I got this. Yeah, you can go from square one to square 100 quick, let's say, when you have somebody standing over you and watching you and saying, this is what you're doing wrong. Look at your feet. Look at your grip. Look at this. Look at that. If there's not somebody there to do that, you don't realize you're making those mistakes. You know, we'll have people out on the flat range and we'll shoot, 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 and they're doing good and they're getting it. And then you take them in and do a little bit of force on force kind of stuff. And, you know, they might go through one or two rooms and then you're like, look at your grip and their grip is just completely gone by the second room. And you're like, your foundation is not there yet because you can't keep that base information in a dynamic situation. You know, if yeah. you if you can't apply fundamentals under stress, you haven't mastered those fundamentals. And most Absolutely. people most people don't get to that point because they want to run before they crawl kind of thing. And, and, but yeah, if you, if you don't have somebody watching over you constantly saying you're making a mistake, you're making a mistake and it, it can be redundant and it can be irritating. And I've seen students kind of, you can almost hear that voice in their head, like, man, would this guy shut the fuck up? You know, but at the same time, you just like, well then do it. If you're tired of me telling you to do it the right way, do it the right way and you won't hear from me again. And that's, but, um, but that only comes from thousands and thousands of repetitions of practice. And, and yeah, I, I, and I'm not the best shooter. I'm not, not far from it, man. You watch some of these guys that are world-class grandmaster shooters and stuff. And you, I mean, they may not know anything more and I might not know less than they do, but their ability to apply that knowledge is above and beyond mine, but I don't shoot 150,000 rounds a year. 
then that's what it takes to be that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just exactly. Repetitions and putting in those 10,000 hours, as they say. Um, right. So with that, tontovodka.com. Check it out. That's where you can now order online, which you were not able to do last year. And on Instagram, at RealTontoVodka. Um, so this was great, man. It's been it's been an entire year, and and thanks for uh, doing this with me while Chris has been out doing speaking. And uh, for the audience, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We need those reviews and subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's YouTube, Spotify. Um, be sure to subscribe and, and listen to us every Monday. And eventually, we will get to uh, doing the live stream type of thing with video and super chats. That's definitely in the works. That will be. Um, very, not very soon, but it'll be soon. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never. quit.